This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. I've got a really special episode planned for you today and a real special treat, if you don't mind me saying so. My new book, Jazz Improvisation Made Simple, is going to be available for Kindle, ebook, and physical paperback on Amazon on March 8th. But as of today, actually as, as of yesterday, which was Sunday, February 16th, 2020, the ebook, just the ebook is available for pre-order. And so I thought I'd celebrate that as we lead up to the launch on March 8th uh, by reading two chapters of the book, really the introduction and chapter one of the book. So I'm totally going to be just like giving you a sneak preview inside of this book today, uh, just because I know you're going to get a lot out of it. And uh, I'd love for you to see what's inside of this. So really excited to do this. Let's jump right to it. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. What's up, everybody? Brent here from LearnJazzStandards.com, which is a blog, a podcast, and videos all geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. Excited, as always, to have you here. Thank you so much. I don't take it for granted. I really do appreciate it. And like I said, this is a kind of special episode. If you're listening for the very first time, you know, a typical episode here is you know maybe an interview with a special guest, uh, learning about some kind of musical topic, or it's just me by myself doing some jazz theory or practicing tips. Um, but today, I'm going to be reading the introduction in the first chapter of my new book, Jazz Jazz Improvisation Made Simple. And the subtitle is Learn Jazz Faster, Improvise Effortlessly, and Become the Musician You've Always Wanted to Be. This book is really, uh, when I was thinking about this book, I was thinking, what is the book that I wish I had when I first started playing jazz? Or even when I was kind of, you know, in the trenches a bit, trying to get the thing figured out. And this is the book I came up with. Now, this is, uh, to my knowledge, the very first self-help style book on jazz improvisation that I've ever come across. And I say self-help, meaning it's not a music method book chocked full of music notation and exercises. I've done plenty of those books. And while there is a little bit of that in this book, it's really more so about strategy. It's really more so about process and lots of stories, lots of different things, as you'll see in the first uh, two chapters that I read, the introduction to the chapter one that I'm going to read today. Uh, but this book is available for pre-order, but just the ebook version. It's going to be launched on March 8th. But right now, as of yesterday, the ebook is available for pre-order. And I'm, I'm not sure if this is already taken now, because I told my list about this yesterday, uh, Sunday, uh, February 16th, 2020, that the first 50 people that pre-order the ebook on Amazon 
I'm actually going to be giving them an advanced copy, a PDF, so that they can go ahead, go through and read it. And all I was at, all I really ask is that um, those 50 people, those first 50 people, uh, leave a rating and review on Amazon when the book comes out. But I'm actually going to be giving an advanced PDF copy to the first 50 people. So if you're interested in that, I can't guarantee that it's already uh, still up for grabs. Uh, but either way, you can pre-order the ebook um, at learnjazzstandards.com forward slash jazz improv, and that will redirect you to the Amazon page. If you want to hold out for the paperback version, that's going to be coming out on March 8th. Just make sure you are subscribed to my newsletter. Um, and if you want both of them, just go ahead and pre-order the ebook now and get the paperback later. Um, so again, learnjazzstandards.com forward slash jazz improv is how you can go ahead and do that. Um, but without further ado, I would love to get started with this reading. Um, I do not have an audio book that's going to be coming out of this yet for March 8th. In the future, I will do an audio book of this book, and uh, but this will kind of give you a feeling of what that audio book would sound like but you'll get to know uh, the book and what it's like. All right, so let's do this thing. Introduction, Jazz Awakening. I bought my first guitar at the age of 10 and soon after became completely obsessed. I was inspired to learn the instrument due to my curiosity about how the distorted guitar sound was created. It was a mystery to me, and like many young children, I was already dreaming of becoming a rock star. Funnily enough, my first guitar was not an electric guitar. My crunchy power chord aspirations would have to wait. It was a $300 Dean Markley acoustic guitar, and pictures of my small arms reaching over the fat spruce body confirm it was much too large for me. My parents made me a deal that if I worked and saved up money for half of it, they would fund the remaining amount. So when the day finally came and we picked it up at the local music store, I began what would become a lifelong journey and eventual career in music. My first guitar teacher mysteriously disappeared one day, and neither I or the music store he worked for ever heard from him again. So for many years, I taught myself. I would spend hours figuring out chords, writing songs, and trying to piece together the puzzle that was my instrument. In many ways, my early musical training consisted of accidental discovery by trial and error, all driven by a fierce inner competition to keep up with the other musicians in my band classes and to sound like my musical heroes. Eventually, I bought a cheap student model tenor saxophone and played it in the jazz and marching bands in middle school. This was probably my first real introduction to jazz, and while it wasn't love at first sight, I was always intrigued by this style of music. I was really into prog rock music, bands such as Dream Theater, Rush, and Planet X, so the virtuosity that I heard in the solos of jazz musicians aligned with my idea of what made a great musician at the time. While I enjoyed playing the saxophone, my passion for guitar superseded the practice time needed for it. Eventually, my sax fell by the wayside, but that didn't stop me from playing in the jazz band, this time with my guitar. My improv skills weren't developed, and like many beginner jazz musicians, I was stuck playing pentatonics in the blues scale. But my band teacher's friend, Mike Allen, who was starting a jazz camp, saw some promise in me and urged me to sign up for the summer. At that camp, I met my first ever professional jazz guitarist, Bruce Foreman, a heavyweight bebop jazz guitarist from Los Angeles. 
Because the camp was brand new, I was the only guitar player, which gave me the luxury of spending a lot of one-on-one time with him. This is where I really started to catch the jazz bug. Being around a musician of that caliber so dedicated to the jazz art form opened my eyes to the bliss of jazz improvisation and all of its possibilities. Approaching my last year of high school, the keyboard player in my prog rock band introduced me to his jazz piano teacher, Justin Nielsen. This introduction completely changed my life. Justin was a rare individual in my smaller hometown of Boise, Idaho. While the jazz scene was practically non-existent at the time, Justin had fostered a community of exceptionally talented students dedicated to studying the jazz art form. This community organically grew into School for the Arts, opening during my senior year of high school, and after Justin heard me play, I was invited to join. Unsure of what to expect, but sensing something special being offered to me, I enrolled in the school to wrap up my high school years. This was no ordinary school. There were periods dedicated to individual practice time. There were periods where we would practice and rehearse tunes with a trio or quartet. Justin would come to work with us one-on-one and give us standards to work on for jazz festivals we would compete in. Every Thursday, we had a jam session at a local coffee shop where all of the parents and the students would come out to hang and play. All this was a horribly rude awakening for me. I went from being one of the more talented musicians in my social circle to being at the bottom of the barrel. To top it off, I was way behind when it came to the level and depth of which my fellow students were playing and practicing. The first time I met my friend and pianist extraordinaire, Keelan Dimmick, he told me about the Duke Ellington chord solos he learned and how amazing they were. When he showed me what he was talking about, he played the exact voicings in perfect time with the recording, exclaiming with wonder the whole time how unbelievable it all was. As for me, I was no stranger to learning music by ear. My reading skills were deplorable, but this was another level entirely. Students were learning Charlie Parker solos by ear, and when asked to learn a new jazz standard, they would have it learned by the next day. Needless to say, I was playing a frantic game of catch-up, leaving me no choice but to improve with leaps and bounds. Most notable was the way Justin was teaching music, specifically jazz. There was no sheet music to learn melodies. That was done by ear. While there were fake books around with chord changes, learning changes by ear was always encouraged. There wasn't a lot of talk about which scales you should play to improvise. The answers were almost always, go learn this Dexter Gordon, Sonny Rollins, Winton Kelly, or Miles Davis solo on whatever jazz standard you are learning. This methodology was intense and caused me to struggle at first, but the long-term benefits I found to be enormous. By the end of that year, the musician I had thought I wanted to be had changed. I now wanted to be a professional jazz musician touring the world end of story. So as was expected in my social circle, I applied to a handful of college jazz programs and got accepted into all of them. But the scholarship money wasn't there. I didn't have the funds to attend these expensive music schools. I felt stuck, unsure of how to continue my jazz education, or for that matter, what to do with my life. I stayed back a year to practice, play weekly gigs, and teach guitar students to make money before going to college. Justin set up a program for me with the goal of getting sufficient scholarships the following year. The program was intense, to say the least. I was to learn 100 jazz standards by the end of the year, two or three per week, 32 bars of a solo per week, find a new chordal voicing discovery per week, and check in with Justin on a weekly basis. My average day consisted of anywhere from five to eight hours of practice. It was an incredibly challenging year, but as a result, to say my jazz playing improved would be an understatement. The next year, I had once again made it into some jazz programs, this time with scholarships. 
I remember telling a regular at my Monday night gig that I was about to go off to college, to which she replied, that's wonderful. You can always do music on the side. And I just smiled. During my first year of music school, I attended Cornish College of the Arts in Seattle, Washington. This was yet another rude awakening for me. While before I was playing one of the best gigs in my town, I was once again a nobody in a city packed full of incredible musicians. At school, I quickly became friends with a guitar player named Steve, who was a more experienced jazz musician. Our routine consisted of going to classes all day and then playing a duo gig at night and then practicing until midnight. The following year, I decided to switch schools and move to New York City, where my wife, Philippia, and I live to this day. After all, New York is the jazz capital of the world, and I wanted to take a dive into the deep end and make my way out east. It goes without saying, if I was a small fish out in Seattle, I was now a minnow in New York City. But the experience of studying with and seeing my jazz heroes play live was an exceptional force in my education. Eventually, I established my spot in a corner of the scene and found myself gigging at bars, restaurants, clubs, and private parties around the city, playing with phenomenal musicians and educators. Fast forward to today, I am now best known as the jazz musician behind the internationally renowned jazz education website, Learn Jazz Standards, which between my blog, podcast, and YouTube channel serve hundreds of thousands of musicians around the world. I've helped thousands upon thousands of musicians improve their jazz skills through my eBooks and online courses, and I've witnessed massive transformations in my students. Why does jazz have to feel so difficult? If you're paying attention to my story, you probably noticed there was a lot of struggle. If you didn't and think that my jazz success seemed to come easy to me, let me tell you now, it wasn't. You see, I didn't have exceptional talent. Sure, I had some talent, but no more than most of my musical peers. I didn't just hear jazz music and suddenly start blowing bebop lines. I always felt one step behind, constantly climbing uphill and seemingly endless quest to sound like my jazz heroes. When I first heard the students play at my arts high school, it was clear that they were outlining chord changes and playing melodic lines. I couldn't do that, and figuring out how seemed overwhelming and a very long road ahead. When told to simply learn a solo by ear in order to understand how to improvise over a jazz standard, I was almost always left not comprehending what I just learned, not to mention not having a clear process for learning the material. Just thinking about the gap year program I did with my teacher makes me cringe. Don't get me wrong, it was wonderful, I had time to do it, and it was the moment in my life to do it. But are ungodly hours of practice and stress-inducing amounts of work necessary for becoming a good jazz improviser? I certainly hope not. When I got to college in Seattle, the jazz theory classes left me with more questions than answers. The options and concepts to be utilized seemed endless and often arbitrary. It's not that it wasn't useful to learn, it just didn't always seem to help me in the quote-unquote real world. While I did practice a lot, my practice sessions were often aimless. There was simply too much to learn, too much to wrap my head around. Jazz constantly felt like a maze I desperately wanted to find my way through so I could finally arrive at some sort of destination that granted me jazz improvisation freedom. When I reflect on my jazz education, I have to wonder, why did it have to be so hard? Regardless of the instrument, the idea that jazz is difficult to learn is a common sentiment I hear from musicians all around the world. Like the rock guitar player who loves to solo but hears the virtuosic nature of the jazz musician and becomes intimidated. Like the classical pianist who is terrified by the very idea of playing something not written on a page. 
like the trumpet player that can't imagine having the chops to play crazy jazz lines, like the saxophone player that looks at the confusing flow of chord progressions and wonders where to start. The message that you will hear time and time again in this book is simple. Jazz does not need to be so hard. Jazz can be made simple. Jazz theory doesn't have to be so hard. You need to know less than you probably think. Learning jazz language doesn't have to be so hard. You just need to focus on learning the right things. Improving your jazz proposition doesn't have to be so hard. You just need to learn how to practice effectively. By the end of this book, you will understand the most fundamental elements of learning jazz music and how to take action in such a way that you get massive results. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying learning jazz will be easy because learning any style of music is not easy. I'm not saying that there is an easy button or some magic jazz potion I'm selling at the end. If you don't practice and dedicate your time to learning this music, none of what I discuss in this book will matter. This is not a method book. I've written plenty of those. For the most part, you won't find this book chock full of notated exercises, licks, etudes, and examples. Music books are great, and while you will find additional resources for each book, this book will give you a bird's eye view of achieving jazz improv success. It's easy to get lost in the details and overwhelming amounts of material, but this book will show you a clear path forward. If you've ever felt intimidated by jazz and therefore never got started, this book is for you. If you've ever felt overwhelmed trying to play jazz, this book is for you. If you feel like you're stuck on a plateau with your jazz playing, this book is for you. Let's start pulling back the curtains and level up our jazz playing. Part one, understanding jazz as a language. As far as playing jazz, no other art form other than conversation can give the satisfaction of spontaneous interaction. Stan Getz. Chapter one, your brain on jazz. I often find musicians come into the jazz world with a series of assumptions. More often than not, these assumptions are rooted in the jazz is difficult belief system, which holds them back from learning effectively or even starting at all. There's nothing wrong with believing something is difficult to achieve, but the limiting beliefs we may choose to hold on to are what can be crippling to our success. While we will be touching base with psychology throughout this book, I want to start us off by talking through these limiting beliefs and the mental side of jazz improvisation. Because if we can't begin to reframe the narrative, it's only going to create friction on our jazz journey. It is my firm belief that at least 50% of playing music is actual skill and the other 50% is all mental. Obviously, this isn't an exact science, but it illustrates the point that the way we frame things in our minds about music can have a huge impact. In my personal experience and from observations of my students, it's our perception of jazz music in the first place that will dictate the ease of our success with learning jazz. If we say learning jazz is difficult or to learn jazz, we have to be exceptionally talented. This is the narrative we have chosen as a framework for our jazz success. I think you see where I'm going with this. Common myths about playing jazz. We need to debunk some myths about playing jazz. I've heard them all, and if we want to become great jazz improvisers, we need to get rid of some of these limiting beliefs. Let's go over some that come up in my online community. Myth number one, jazz is only for the exceptionally talented. I understand that musicians coming from the other genre backgrounds sometimes look at jazz and get overwhelmed. Yes, jazz may be more complex than some other styles of music, but that doesn't mean that someone with average talent can't learn how to play it. 
I certainly don't consider myself exceptionally talented, but I've been able to reach a higher level of playing by taking action on many of the topics that we will discuss in this book. Myth number two, you need to learn a bunch of fancy scales. False. Don't get me wrong. Scales have their place in our jazz education, especially when it comes to knowing your instrument. But jazz improvisation is not about scales. Jazz is about learning a language. More on that soon. When you go to discuss a topic with a friend or family member, you don't list off all the letters in the alphabet that you can use in order to express yourself. That would be ridiculous. You speak combinations of words, and depending on what your fellow converser says back to you, you may change the words you were premeditating. You'll learn in chapter 7 that scales are best thought of as pitch collections, and you may be surprised to find out that you don't need to know that many. Myth number three, you need to know a lot of music theory. This is probably one of the more common myths about learning jazz. Because of the more complex harmony found in jazz standards, it may seem that there is much more to know than in some other styles of music, and there is. But you don't have to be a pretentious music theorist spouting out all of the different applications of the melodic minor scale to play jazz. I've already mentioned that knowing a lot of scales is unnecessary, and when it comes to chords, you'll find out in chapter 5 that you don't have to know every single one in the book. For chord progressions, there are really only a handful you should look out for. Myth number 4, I'm too old or it's too late to start. This is one I hear time and time again from my podcast listeners and subscribers. Brent, I want to learn a solo by ear, but I'm in my 60s and I just don't think I can. Or Brent, I'm a 45-year-old classical pianist and I think it may be too late for me to learn how to improvise. Unfortunately, this mindset has already set these individuals up for failure. Yet every day in my courses, I witness musicians of all ages improve their jazz skills. Ina Denekamp from Vancouver, BC is a 60-year-old pianist and graduate of my 30 Steps to Better Jazz Playing course. I had her as a guest on episode 143 of the Learn Jazz Standards podcast. Ina was an inspiration to other course members, not due to her age, but because of her progress. She was active in the community discussion board, posting her assignments and encouraging others along the way. While Ina did have a musical background rooted in the classical tradition, improvising was mostly foreign territory. When I asked her what was the biggest tip she could give to a beginner jazz improviser, she said, The fact that I put off for so long using my ears, learning to listen, and learning to imitate, for me, that's the biggest piece of information. I wish I had started sooner using my ears. By the end of the course, Ina had learned two solos by ear and was improvising. If Ina can do it, you can do it too. I had my own limiting beliefs about starting later than my peers that plagued me for years. Many of my musical friends started lessons young and found jazz at a younger age than I did. I allowed myself to believe I was at a disadvantage because of this for far too long. That somehow I would never play jazz at the level I wanted to because I was starting quote-unquote late. Luckily, I no longer hold on to those limiting beliefs. Myth number five, I need to practice long hours to make meaningful improvement as a jazz musician. Famous jazz musicians are notorious for obsessively practicing for long, countless hours. In 1959, Sonny Rollins took a hiatus from gigging and went out to the Williamsburg Bridge in New York City almost every day to practice. There are countless stories of John Coltrane practicing long hours, even practicing in between sets. In a 1954 interview with Paul Desmond, Charlie Parker claimed that he spent three to four years practicing up to 15 hours a day. While it's no doubt that part of the success these musicians achieved was due to the amount of time spent honing their craft, this amount of effort is simply not needed to become a competent jazz improviser. 
In fact, forcing yourself to practice past the point of remaining focused and productive is time wasted. In part four of this book, you'll start to learn that it's more about what and how you practice that matters. Fear of Jazz. In 2008, neuroscientist Dr. Charles Lim published a study that details what happens to the brain when a jazz musician improvises. The goal of the study was to see if jazz improvisation could offer some insight into how the brain invents. To study the brains of jazz musicians improvising, he put them in an MRI with a non-magnetic keyboard with plastic keys. He then asked them to play a memorized song and then start improvising and riffing off of it to observe the difference. When the musicians were improvising, the part of the brain that allows humans to express themselves became more active. At the same time, the part of the brain that allows for inhibition and self-control became more dormant. By inhibiting the part of the brain that fosters self-criticism, the musicians were able to be more creative. I view this as a neurological description of letting go, Lim said. If you're too self-conscious, it's very hard to be free creatively. One of the most challenging aspects of learning to improvise is letting go of that self-critical, self-conscious side of oneself. Think about the last time you got up to perform live, whether it was at a gig, a jam session, or just for family and friends. Did you feel nervous? Perhaps the hours and hours of practice you put in suddenly seemed to evade you. You thought you knew the song. After all, you played it perfectly many times by yourself, but suddenly halfway through, you got lost. You had played great melodic solos before when you were practicing with the backing track, but suddenly you found yourself frantically playing random notes or resorting to scales you know work over the form. Most of us can relate to some variation of this, and while freezing up when put on the spot isn't unique to jazz, I find that the act of improvising heightens these mental reactions. It's not that you didn't know what to do, it's that your perception changed. It's important that you learn to silence your inner critic when learning to improvise. Your inner critic will do everything in its power to point out the wrong notes you are playing, quote unquote, to point out the better musician at a jam session and urge you to play it safe. But improvisation is not about safety. Improvisation is pure expression and expressing oneself is never entirely safe. My wife is from Greece and we go to visit her family once or twice a year. Naturally, I've learned a bit of Greek from sheer exposure to it, yet I often find myself worried to say things I think I know for fear of failure. I don't want to look dumb or sound stupid. However, I have become aware that it's this self-conscious attitude that inhibits my ability to learn the language. To learn something, you have to be okay with starting out sounding bad. There's no place for ego when it comes to learning a language. This is especially true when it comes to learning jazz. Miles Davis once said, do not fear mistakes. There are none. I'm not sure if I completely agree, but the essence of it rings true. If you play a quote unquote wrong note, you're only one note away from making it quote unquote right. When we start improvising, we are putting ourselves out there fully exposed. This is a vulnerable thing to do, and it's natural to want to protect ourselves, but start accepting the imperfections of your music now. Let go of the need to sound good and embrace your inevitable failures. In her book, Mindset, psychologist Carol Dweck talks about two different kinds of mindsets that humans develop, the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. Here's how Dweck defined these mindsets in an interview. In a fixed mindset, students believe their basic abilities, their intelligence, their talents are just fixed traits. They have a certain amount and that's it. And then their goal becomes to look smart all the time and never look dumb. 
In a growth mindset, students understand that their talents and abilities can be developed through effort, good teaching, and persistence. They don't necessarily think everyone's the same or anyone can be Einstein, but they believe everyone can get smarter if they work at it. I would encourage you to foster the growth mindset as you head out into your jazz journey. You took a bad solo. All right. But now you know what to work on next time. You got lost in the middle of a jazz standard. No worries. Something to work on in the practice room. You were the worst musician at the jazz jam. Perfect. This is an ideal situation for improving. If you adopt the spirit of experimentation, you will enjoy your jazz studies. You'll find that learning to play jazz requires a lot of trial and error. In some aspects, this is a different experience than, say, a classical musician would experience having music clearly written on a page. Jazz improvisation is not a formula or exact science. In this book, I'll be pointing you in the right direction, but you'll find your own ways to start navigating this music. If you cast aside limiting beliefs about playing jazz and adopt a growth mindset, your journey as a budding jazz musician will be nothing but sheer bliss. If you cast aside your inner critic and embrace the turbulent path of musical discovery, massive improvement awaits you. With the mental side of learning jazz addressed, it's time to learn the fundamental most important place to start when learning jazz. All right, that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. I hope that you enjoyed that little sneak preview my new book, Jazz Improvisation Made Simple. Learn jazz faster, improvise effortlessly, and become the musician you've always wanted to be. Again, the ebook, the Kindle version, is available for pre order right now. You can go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash jazz improv. And the official launch where I'll be launching the paperback version as well as when the Kindle version will be delivered is on March 8th. So if you want to stay tuned for all of that, you can always just be a member of my of my newsletter. That's where I keep everybody up to date. Um, for those who are thinking about you know, getting uh, pre-ordering the books, you can be one of the 50 people to get uh, a pre-copy of the PDF version of the book um, to also leave a review on launch day, be a part of our launch team. Um, just go ahead and pre-order it. And then take a screenshot of your receipt that you receive and then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash contact and send that in. And uh, if, if, if you are one of the 50, we'll be uh, emailing you and letting you know and giving you a pre-copy uh, of that ahead of time. All right. So um, listen, I got this great rating and review that I haven't read a rating and review in a while um, for the podcast on Apple Podcasts. This one really touched my heart, so I wanted to read this one, and um, this one was called uh, This Got Me Into Playing Jazz, and this is from Wes and Django is the username. Um, I had been interested in jazz for years, but didn't know where to start. This podcast, coupled with the website, gave me the direction and encouragement I needed to get started. I've now been playing jazz for years and improving every day. Thanks for helping me fulfill a dream. And uh, first of all, thank you so much for leaving a rating review, uh, Wes and Django. I'm so glad that I get to be a small part of your jazz journey. That's a real privilege. It, it kind of reminded me this week that, you know, whatever work you do in the world, you know, whether it's music, whether it's uh, finance, whether it's accounting, whether it's, um, you know, construction, um, that even those days where you're like, hey, I don't know if what I'm doing even, you know, what am I even doing? 
someone uh, is responding to your work. Someone is taking in your work and is appreciating it and is getting help from it. And so every day we have the choice to approach our day, no matter what we're doing, and realize that we have the opportunity to positively affect somebody else. Uh, and so that was a really big encouragement to me. So if you want to leave uh, a rating review, not necessarily to encourage me or to say nice things to me, but just to say something about how the podcast has helped you, just go to Apple Podcasts wherever you listen to podcasts, leave a rating review. I do read all of them and I appreciate all of them. So thank you so much. All right. We're going to be coming out with another episode next week. Look forward to seeing you back then. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes, and don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.